All right. Well, good morning once again. We are so glad that you are here uh, at Hope. And uh, I love the theme of that song, Get Your Hopes Up. A good day to be reminded that we have some hope, right? Uh, that spring is going to get here at some point uh, after the, the, the couple months that we've had uh, here. It is good to be a Lutheran Church of hope and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And if you're new to hope, uh, if this is your first time here again, welcome. We are, we love new people at hope. We're so glad that you're here. If you're, if you're new or or maybe you're unfamiliar, hope is one church in multiple locations. And so at our six campuses around uh, central Iowa, as well as all of our local sites all over the state, we are so, uh, we are so thankful to be uh, one family. And there are certain times Throughout the year, uh, about once a quarter around here, normally you see uh, Chris or I up here preaching live about 90% of the time, but about once a quarter uh, or so, uh, it is good for all of us at all the campuses to get on the same page and all hear the same message at the same time, which is kind of a cool thing that we can do uh, with technology. So in a second here, we're going to go live uh, to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Mike, and uh, it's going to be awesome. Today, it's a, it's a great theme to all get on the same page uh, about as one church, and so w- no matter where you are at Hope Today, you're all hearing the same message. You're not missing out on anything, except we're, we're dialing in more specifically to what it means to be the body of Christ, to what it means to be God's family. And I want you to know this morning that whether this is your first time here or your 100th time here, you are a part of this more than you know. You are a part of the body of Christ. You are a part of God's family. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is finding your role on God's Team. And so we're right in the middle of the sermon series. Uh, it's kind of a fun uh, title. Maybe you remember the old song, uh, Losing My Religion. Well, we're, gonna, we're in a sermon series called Losing My Bad Religion, uh, more specifically. Uh, specifically focused on Paul's letter uh, to Corinth, to the church in Corinth and 1 Corinthians. And so that's where Pastor Mike's going to pick, pick up exactly where we left off last week uh, as well. And so uh, just as you were, if you were in the room, follow along. You got your Bibles. We encourage you to take out your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians or your, uh, your phones or your Bible apps or whatever you got there and follow along as we work through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, together. And uh, again, if Mike's asking you to read something on the screen, he's asking everybody. He knows he's talking to you this morning. So I uh, encourage you to read along. And if he says a joke, even if it's not funny, what do you do? Yeah. Laugh. I love some of you like, you laugh, right? Well, we don't take ourselves too seriously uh, here at Hope, but we take God and his word very seriously. And so as we prepare our hearts, let's pray together. God, we thank you that church is not all about us. God, that it always has been and it will be about you and about your desires and about your agenda and what your will is for us. God, we all come with needs and wants and desires, but we lay those down at the cross. And this morning, Jesus, we say, we want what you want. And so we know that there's some of us maybe that uh, came in with a lot on our hearts and minds this morning. First of all, we're wondering if anybody knows us, if, any, if anybody cares, if there's a place for us to belong. Jesus, would you remind us that the answer is absolutely yes, that there is a place for us in your family. God, some of us are, have heavy hearts. We pray that you would comfort those of us that are afflicted. God, and yet I know that there's a lot of us that it's easy, especially this time of year, to kind of get lulled into the mundane, into hunkering down, and it's easy to settle into our comfort zones. God, so as much as you comfort the afflicted, God, would you afflict the comfortable today? Would you move us and shake us out of those places of of ease and comfort and into that place of mission and being on the path with you towards life, Jesus? We thank you for your word, and we're excited to learn more this morning. God, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning and be the church. We pray all of this in your name. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. 
Walt Disney is one of the great dreamers and visionaries of the last century. He says, if you can dream it, you can do it. And the way to get started on that is to quit talking and to start doing, to actually start to move. And that is really kind of a wonderful metaphor for the church, too. We aren't just called to sit back and talk about church. We're called to actually be the church and to go out and do church and to do that together as the body of Christ. Although, I got to say this, too. Watching that video throughout the weekend, the more snow that falls, the more I think it's just nice to see some more Florida sunshine, too, uh, along the way as well. Welcome. I'm really glad you're here. Whatever campus you're at, Ankeny or Grimes or Waukee or Ames or Des Moines or here in West Des Moines, turn to the person next to you. If you're at one of our local sites, hey, by the way, we've got a brand new local site that's officially launching today in Kansas City on the Kansas side. So praise God. Hi to all of you guys. Uh, Wherever you are, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Genuinely mean that. You are the hearty souls of hope. You are the folks who love Jesus the most. Uh, you're not going to let a little light and fluffy snow keep you from being here. And you also have probably learned that when the weather is bad outside, it means better parking out there too for us and more choices on where you can sit uh, when you come into one of our campuses. So I'm, I'm glad you're here. And if your weather's good in Kansas City, good for you. Uh, so I'm really, really happy for you. I didn't check the whole radar, so I don't know. Maybe it's worse. Uh, but Walt Disney, when Walt Disney was open, had already died. He died, I think, in 66, and Walt Disney World in Florida opened in 1971. Here's the cover of Life magazine, which was a big deal back in the day, and it says the date on the bottom is October 15, October 15 1971. It was the day Disney World opened, or at least the day that this cover of Life magazine was published to uh, depict the opening of Disney World in Florida. When it happened, Walt Disney's uh, wife, his widow, was there standing next to some of the executives from uh, Disney World, and one of them leaned over to her and, and said this. I mean, it was heartfelt, it's genuine, it comes from a good place. He says, I wish Walt could have seen this. Wouldn't that have been great? I wish Walt could have seen this. And without missing a beat, Lillian, his, Walt Disney's wife, turned back to him and said, Oh, he did, and that's why it's here. He saw it. He saw it before it ever was realized, before it was ever built, before it was ever constructed. He had that kind of a vision. It's because he had this vision that it came to be. Without a vision, the Bible says, in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, the people perish. And so it is, not just for the happiest place on earth, as it's called, uh, but it's also for what's supposed to be the most joy-filled, which is even deeper than happiness, happiest place, the most joy-filled place on earth, which is even deeper than the happiest place on earth, easy for me to say, which is the church of Jesus Christ. We've got a vision too. The vision that God has given to us from the very beginning here at Hope is to be a spirited, everyone say spirited. spirited. Growing, say growing. growing. And Christ-centered. Those three words together, let's say them all together. Spirited, growing, and Christ-centered community filled with hope. Each of those three key words have biblical foundations. To be spirited meaning we're alive and vibrant and relevant and in Acts 2, birth of the church, Holy Spirit-filled kind of way. To be growing, a church that isn't just growing bigger and wider in numbers, but deeper, rooted in the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. To be Christ-centered, to know that we're loved, and that inspires us to love others, to be loving. It isn't because we're, we're just good people or above-average citizens we do this because of God's grace for us, and it naturally pours out of us. And eternity is at stake. 
Sometimes I think it's good for us to remember that. God has planted eternity in the human heart, Ecclesiastes reminds us. What we're talking about here is stuff that's going to last forever. For you, but also for those for whom you plant these seeds of faith. For the people you invite. Don't underestimate an invitation to worship or to the Alpha Course, or to a small group, your men's group, your women's group, your your Bible study here at church. Don't underestimate when you invite somebody into that what God could do with that. He, He could change their eternal destinies, just like he has for you and for me by his amazing grace. Too often, I think, we fall into the trap of losing eternity in this whole equation of Christianity. And we reduce Christianity to just being about the right here and the right now. I get it, the seize the moment, the let's not get our heads in the clouds too far and only think about heaven and then and not care about earth anymore, about our lives here. But it is to find a balance. We can go too far the other way too and just make it about right here and now and forget about the blessing and the gift of eternity. Imagine that uh, history is a a string, is a timeline that goes from uh, my right, which would be your left as you're facing me, uh, all the way the other direction. And so here's your life right here. It's, It's a little mark on the string. The beginning of that mark is your birth. The end of that mark is your death. And everything on that string prior to that mark, to your birth date, your birthday, is human history. From the very beginning until you were born. And then at some point, since relative to all of human history, it really is, and this is kind of humbling, it really is a rather small mark. It's rather short, because the end of that mark is the day that we're going to die in this earth. But here's the gift of eternity. Here's the gift of God's amazing grace that is important for us, I think, to keep in mind. What we're dealing with here, the vision we have isn't just to give people a happy vacation, as important as that is. The vision we have is to point people to eternity and get them on this string, not just for the mark of their life so that they'll know Jesus here, but they will know Jesus Christ. That string continues on, straight out the church doors, loops around, like almost miraculously, around the whole building, comes back around, connects back to the string, and creates this infinite loop. It never ends your life with Jesus Christ. It is forever. Sometimes we get so stressed out about what's going on in the little mark, we forget the gift of eternity, which puts what we're dealing with right now in immediate perspective. It's not going to last, but eternity will. And eternity is a place where there is no more suffering, where there is no more sorrow, where there is no more crying, where there are no tears and there is no death. That's not preacher's opinion. That's the word of God in the book of Revelation. What we're talking about here is a vision that leads to eternity. It doesn't just make people's lives better for right here and right now. It does that too. And I do not mean to minimize that. It's important for us to keep our eyes on that as well. Jesus cares a lot about that mark. God sent his one and only son into that mark, into the midst of that world so that God could meet you right here and right now. That mark matters. But the point of scripture is bigger than that. It's that the rest of the string matters too. And our mission and our call to invite people onto that eternity, to change their eternal destinies so that their life continues on forever and ever with God in his kingdom is an incredible gift. God has planted this eternity in our human hearts. We know this to be true if we peel back all the layers and find it again. Wayne Cordero, who's a pastor of a church in Honolulu, 
here I go again with warm weather things. Uh, but there, uh, a really faithful pastor says, in heaven we will never see a non-Christian. It's kind of interesting to remember that. We'll never have another opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who don't believe it yet. Who are you going to share the good news of God's love with? Who have you shared it with in the last year? Can you think of anyone? Eternity is at stake. Part of our vision is to be a Christ-centered church, is to be loved and loving, to bring that gospel, that good news to the world around us. And when we do, the body of Christ becomes this beautiful thing. I mean, it's an absolutely beautiful thing. In our Bible reading for today, Paul sums it up in verse 27 by saying this to the Corinthian church. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. The next phrase after that is, don't ever forget that. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. Turn to the person who's closest to you right now, even if in, in, a, in a little bit less crowded sanctuary, you might have to get up and walk across an aisle. But I want to make sure everybody hears this. Turn to the person near you and say, you are the body of Christ. You are. That's who you are. And when you are church, man, you look good. Here's a picture, one of the many, many, many piles of food and, and, and uh, paper products that you brought together last week to give to food pantries, to give to people who are in need in central Iowa. And the gifts went from Stewart to Iowa City and from Mason City to Kansas City. 99 food pantries you filled the shelves of. You brought more food in than we've ever had before by far. You're an amazing church. You're absolutely amazing because you aren't here to consume. You're here to serve. And so you've got it right. You are at the opposite end of the spectrum of, of what Paul is gunning against in the Corinthian church because Paul's pretty upset. They've lost their way. They're taking communion, but they're turning it into a uh, old country buffet. And so there are people who are in the front of the line and they're hogging the bread. And instead of taking a little portion of bread, they're eating the whole loaf and, and downing it. It'd be like going to the breakfast after the service and getting seven plates of eggs and 42 sausages and saying, it's all mine. Which you could do, and I've seen one or two people try. <laughs> but it isn't very hospitable to the other people who are here. That's not Paul's point, which is how much you eat at the potluck. His point is in this Holy Lord's Supper, you're turning it into a fiasco. He even goes on to say, some of you are getting drunk on the wine. Right in the middle of worship. And you're gossiping and you're criticizing and you're dividing. And you're making church a consumer entity. Paul's really upset about this. On the other side of that, in 1 Corinthians 12, the next chapter, he gives this vision. This better-than-Disney-like dream of what the church is supposed to look like. And because he can see it, and because he did see it, and he wrote it down almost 2,000 years ago, you're living it out now, church. You're living it out through the Super Bowl food drive. As it is, there are many parts but one body. Many parts but one body. And so we go out and we serve wherever we have the opportunity to do so. Sean Johnson, the Olympic gymnast, uh, trained her body. And you think about the body of Christ, and you think about how important it is to be coordinated. Think how coordinated you have to be to win a gold medal on the balance beam in Beijing. A lot of you know that Sean's from West Des Moines, and she grew up in Iowa. She grew up in this church, too. And just a couple of years ago, when she was back in town, she and her husband, Andrew East, who's an NFL player for the Washington Redskins, a long snapper, came forward to be baptized at the end of our baptism weekend services. 
and Andrew videoed his wife, Sean, being baptized by me over in that baptismal font right over there. And that's, you say, well, okay, so that's nice. They took a video of the baptism. We take pictures of kind of important events. That's important. But here's an example for how you can take the opportunities and the gifts that God has given to you and use them to let your light shine, to be a beautiful body of Christ. And I think this was phenomenal. I don't know if you know this or not, but Sean and Andrew have a social media page or Instagram thing that has, I'm not making this up, millions and millions of followers. Millions and millions of people, including my daughter, or I would have never known this, she told me this was happening, including my daughter who follow them, and they, they don't do polished stuff. They don't do our hair is perfect and we pose for the picture and everything's really nice. I had to dig years away to find a picture where they look this kind of like clean on, on the whole thing. It's very honest, it's very raw, it's very real, it's very down to earth. It's very Sean and Andrew if you know who they are. But here's the thing that really impressed me. Last week or the week before, Andrew posted this video of Sean for all of their millions and millions of followers of her getting baptized by me over in that baptismal font. 224,000 people watched it. If I had known this, I would have worn a better shirt. <laughs> my goodness, how awkward and embarrassing that is. In fact, I showed my wife and she's like, who's oh, it's you. <laughs> True story. So. Here I am baptizing Sean Johnson, and it's getting video, and it's getting put on their post, and 224,000 people are getting this witness from these two people who say, in the midst of it all, in the midst of our fame and our celebrity, and the whole world knows us, from Dancing with the Stars to Beijing to the Washington Redskins and everything in between, here's what really matters to us. It's Jesus Christ. Here's the main thing. Here's where we let our light shine. Here's my point. My point is go out and, make, and start an Instagram page where you get millions and millions of followers. If you do, you do. But then ask yourself, how are you gonna use that for God's glory? Not, not every one of their posts, in fact, very few of their posts are this, but every once in a while they intersperse, intersperse this in. They drop this stuff in there and say, here's what really matters to us. Underneath it all, let your light shine. That's the body of Christ. That's the beauty of it. Hear this verse again from 1 Corinthians 12. As it is, there are many parts, but there is one body. And this is how we lose our bad religion. That's our theme for this series of sermons in the month of February, because it's Paul's theme in his first letter to the Corinthians. Kind of sums it up this way when he goes after them. He says, next screen, he says this, when you meet together, it brings out your worst side instead of your best. I'm getting this report on your divisiveness, competing with and criticizing each other. So do this quick heart check, if you would. When you think about your Christian faith, when you think about the church, when you think about following Jesus Christ, is it more about you or is it about other people? Is it more about my self-interest or others' interests and, and what might be in it for them? And if there's no alignment between those two, we wander off into chaos. So do this church member kind of security check which is based on 1 Corinthians 12. Look at these two columns on the next screen and find yourself on one side or the other. Do you encourage other members' attempts to do ministry or do you sabotage them and get envious of the attention they're getting? Do you point out other people's strengths or do you bring attention to their faults? Ask yourself this to put it even more simply. Have you spent more time praising other church members lately or criticizing them? 
What about the whole church? Do you spend more time lifting it up before people as a positive thing, or do you criticize it and rate it and give it stars on Facebook or on Google and, and say it's all about ranking it? That's consumeristic Christianity, and it isn't biblical. That's the problem with it. There's no win in it for you. You were made for more. When you, con- when, when you think about your faith, are you willing to give away credit or do you demand credit? Do you rejoice when others succeed or are you jealous of their success? Are you content to remain anonymous if you do something for God's glory and you use the gifts God has given to you to edify the church? Or do you require your gifts to be recognized and praised and draw attention to them? Do you know why we don't have any plaques around here with people's names on them? Because it isn't biblical. It isn't biblical to honor people who who do certain things and specific things and put their names on it. You know the name that we care about in this church? It's Jesus Christ. It's his name that we worship. It's his name that we honor. It isn't about us, but if it becomes about us, we lose our security as church members. We lose our way. We make Christianity less than it's supposed to be. And there's nothing in that for you. I know it appears that way at first. It looks really good. And we're like, well, this is going to be it. I'm going to chase after this. But there's nothing there for us. Are you quick to build teams or do you prefer to do everything by yourself? Are you teachable? The guy who invented judo, the art of judo, puts it this way. How important humility is. How important it is to put the needs of others ahead of our own. Because we were wired up for that. And we aren't going to find life to the full and we aren't going to find joy unless we get there. He said, bury me with a white belt. If you think you have nothing left to learn, then you're going to walk out and you're going to say, I don't want any part of that. It's not for me. But if you think that if you can humble yourself before a holy God, you'll be exalted, the Bible says. Bury me with a white belt, which is the symbol of the beginner, the symbol of the person who's here to learn. So let's go to the board, if you will. This is about as close to a chalkboard. I should have made it green as we can get. But I want to do just a few slides with you. And I hope you'll have a teachable spirit. I hope you'll put your white belt on and and humble yourself to receive this. Paul puts it this way as he starts this part of the letter. He says, I want to talk to you, church, about the various ways God's spirit gets worked into your lives because you're missing it. I don't agree with Paul when I think about you, Hope. I'm just saying this for preventive maintenance today. He's saying it because there's chaos in the church. I'm saying it because to say, avoid these ditches in the future. They're tempting and it's easy to jump in. This is complex and often misunderstood, but I want you to be informed. I want you to be knowledgeable. There are two key words that Paul's gonna focus in on over the next several verses. One is pneuma in the original Greek and the other is charisma. Pneuma is a word you might recognize. It means spirit. If you put a holy in front of it, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the wind, the breath of God, the ruach of God from the Old Testament, the way God uses his spirit to create the first human beings, to put life into us. So it is this life-giving spirit of God. Charisma is a word that gets used a lot in everyday English these days. That person's very charismatic, we say, or that person has a lot of charisma, and we we all kind of know what that means. That person has something, something special, has that it kind of factor, has has something that sort of separates that person in some sort of way that's, that's hard to tangibly say what it is. It's just this gift. Well, it's biblical, and Paul says what's really great is when it isn't just human charisma that's based on human talent, but it's spiritual charisma spiritual gifts, God's gifts that he gives to us 
Get this part. Why? For the sake of edifying the church. Charisma literally means the operation or gift of grace to edify the church with the end result in mind. How we are using the grace that God has given to us. Are we just kind of sucking it all up and taking it into ourselves and saying that's the end of it? Or is there another end result to it? That God gave you his grace for you, for the assurance of the salvation of your soul and the forgiveness of all your sins, but he also gave you his grace for it to overflow out of you, to pour out of you to the world around you. Now you're starting to hit your stride. When you start to realize the breadth of Christianity and the depth of Christianity isn't just about you and God. It isn't just about what you can get from God, his grace. It's about letting that grace pour out of you. The first part of this word charisma is charis or charis. And charis is the Greek word throughout the New Testament for grace. When the Bible talks about grace, it uses the word charis. So there's the word grace right in the midst of these gifts, that it, that something that people have. What they have is God's love, undeserved and free. What they have is charisma. What they have, if they're taking it literally, is God's grace in them, and then it pours out of them to the world around us. It is grace done to others to share God's holy work with the world around us. And you have been given this grace, grace upon grace, gifts, You've got some serious gifts. Here's the list that Paul goes on to write about throughout the rest of the chapter. Wisdom. Do you have the gift of wisdom? What are you using it for? Yourself? Just to draw attention to you? Or are you using it to edify the church and to glorify God and to further his kingdom and to draw more people onto that eternal string that's gonna last forever and ever? You were made for that. You weren't made to use your wisdom just to get praise from the world. So everybody say, wow, how wise you are, how, how gifted you are, what a charisma you have. Do you have knowledge, do you have great faith, do you have miracle gifts like healing or prophecy or discernment or being able to speak in tongues? Are you an apostle, which is a fancy way of somebody, uh, which is a fancy way of the Bible saying somebody who's sent out. Apostle literally means one who is sent out into the world to serve. Are you a prophet, somebody who shares God's word? Are you a teacher? Are you a helper? And here's the thing, you say, oh, well, it'd be great if I could do miracles and prophesy, but really my gift is to help. I'm just a helper. You're not just a helper. Paul goes on to say that. He says, I can't say to the ear, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Every part is essential to the whole. Every part is important to the body of Christ. What's your gift? This is, this is just the 1 Corinthians 12 list. There's another list in Romans 12 and another one in Ephesians 4 and throughout the New Testament. You've got gifts. Turn to the person next to you and say, you've got some serious gifts. You've got some really good ones. You do. It's not just like a, a, an affirmation and a pep talk like, oh, really? No, you're okay when really deep down I think you're not really that okay. No, you are. You've got gifts and God has given you these gifts for a purpose, for the body of Christ to be beautiful, for the body of Christ to be coordinated, and for the body of Christ to be productive, the body of Christ to move, for it to move toward its vision. Remember, this is a vision that Paul is giving, and he sees it. This is what the church is supposed to be. And the last Greek word he, that I want to point out that he uses in 1 Corinthians 12 is that body, the soma, the mystical body of Christ. Soma is body. The church the one people of God. Everyone say one. one. Say one. one. There's a lot of us here. Almost 20,000 members now here at Hope. 
but there's one church that meets in all sorts of different locations, all sorts of different places, but we have one call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one mission, one purpose. We're one. And when you take all those diverse gifts and you take all the different talents and you bring them together for the sake of that purpose, dream about what that would look like, Hope. Dream about what it would look like if we lived our lives in that way. Here's an unbiblical strategy and approach to church, which too many churches take too often. It's whenever there's a need, let's just hire somebody to do it, and we'll watch, and we'll raid a record like American Bandstand with Dick Clark. I liked it. Hey, it's a good beat. I can dance to that. Or I didn't like it so much. I'm going to give it a low score. That's not biblical Christianity or the biblical vision for church. And the end result is no disciples are made, church leaders burn out, and we develop consumer Christians. Consumers leave church as soon as their rate of consumption is not met by the church's rate of feeding. We have a name for people like this. They're shop and hop Christians. They hopped on over to hope, but as soon as we offend them, they'll hop on out. And they'll just keep hopping around looking for the perfect church until they find it, and they'll never put any roots down, and they'll never develop any humility or loyalty, and they'll never discover that church and Christianity isn't about me and it isn't about what I can consume and it isn't about what I can take in it's about what I can give it's about how I can serve it's about how I can coordinate with the body around me if we don't do that we get overwhelmed and church life for the very few people who are actually serving starts to feel like this help I'm completely overwhelmed I still remember the first church I served in a small town in rural Iowa. The folks would say, the first person, the church lady, I would call her, genuine, wonderful, warm heart. She took me aside. She says, I'm 82 years old. I'm tired. Get the young people to do it now. I've had it. I've had it. I'm done. Get some of those young people to start serving. I said to her, I said, bless your heart, but you're supposed to serve too. We're all, so the young, you're right about the young people. We're all supposed to be serving. It isn't like, I did my time, now let somebody else do it. We're all called to use these gifts God has given to us. Pastor Cadero puts it this way in his book, Doing Church as a Team, which if there are five books that have influenced hope the most over the last 20 years, this is one of them. It is this beautiful biblical summary for what scripture says the church is supposed to be. God designed us to work together for a purpose, he writes. God's plan is for us to carry out that plan with what is the word? With joy. Everyone say joy. joy. Now, deep as you can in the, on a snowy, gray kind of day, although it is beautiful out there, isn't it? It's light and fluffy and happy snow, so that should make us a little happier. Find the joy that's down in there. You might have to peel back some layers. You might have, but remember, it's not about happiness, it's deeper. It's about a relationship you have with God. If you're not so happy about the way things are going on the mark right now, remember the full string. If that doesn't give you joy, I don't know what will. You have a God who promises that the struggles you're dealing with on the mark right now aren't going to last. So now find that joy and shout out the word joy. Everyone say joy. Joy. It's in you. Because the Spirit has put it in you. Live it out. No one person is meant to carry out the mission of the church alone. We're designed to do it as a team. Created to do church as a team. Cordero goes on to use the metaphor, and I think this is beautiful, of an outrigger canoe like they have at the beginning of Hawaii Five-0. And how the idea is that anybody who does this well knows in Hawaii that the idea is not to row as hard and as fast as you can for as long as you can. 
If you do, your canoe's just gonna kind of wiggle, woggle all the way down and you're gonna actually slow it down. The idea is to take your time and to find your rhythm with the rower in front of you. When that rower goes from one side to the other, you do the opposite. You go from your side to the other. When that rower puts his oar into the water, your oar dips into the water. And as that rower is rowing through the water, so do you. And as that rower is pulling his oar out of the water, so do you. And you find your rhythm over and over and over. And you can go way faster and accomplish way more and have a way better ride. The problem is too many people want to do Christianity alone. as a solo act, not as a part of a team, but, but as a lone ranger. Let me, let me give you another illustration that I hope will help. Here's the world's fastest man in 1,600 meters. Not just today, but in the history of the world. Nobody has ever run four laps around a traditional track faster than Mr. El Garouge. And when he did, he posed by his world record sign of three minutes, 43.13 seconds. It's pretty impressive. No human being has ever done what he's done. From a start line to a finish line, four laps later, he ran that faster than anybody ever has. Until I start training, and then I'm going to give it a run. <laughs> There's no way. World record. All-time world record. So let me ask you this question. Who's faster? Him by himself or these four high school kids from Waukee running the same distance together? Who's going to cover that 1,600 meters faster? A couple of those kids go to Hope, by the way. Who's going who's gonna to cover, and it could be Ankeny, or it could be DCG, or it could be Ames, or it could be uh, Valley, or, or any other school would have a team that could do the same. This just happens to be the team that won the Drake Relays uh, last year, last spring. So they're pretty fast. They're above average athletes. I'm, I'm going to give you that. But who do you think is faster? The fastest man in the history of planet Earth, running 1,600 meters, or these four high school kids doing it together by passing a baton in between? It's not even close. These kids beat his world record by over 24 seconds. It's not even close. And almost any good high school team in America could beat him. Almost any team could run it faster than the fastest man ever by himself. So let me ask you, those of you who think Christianity is something you can do by yourself, that you can just run solo. No, you were made for more. So I don't know where the question is in that. Will you start running with your team? There, that's what I asked you. Will you find your team? This is why life groups and men's groups and women's groups are so important. This is why ministry teams are together. This is why when Jesus sent out his followers to go out and do ministry halfway through his ministry, he didn't send them out solo. He sent them out in pairs, in teams. We're better together. Who are you doing church with? Who are you serving with? How much food can we bring together last weekend if we just do it as an individual? Just by myself, I'm gonna do my own Mike Householder Super Bowl food drive. Well, that's great for the two or three people I serve, but look what we can do together. Look how fast we can run. Look how fast our, our canoe can go. If you think that's fast, here's the world record team. They're almost 50 seconds faster than the fastest man ever. The problem with the Lone Ranger is he burns out. And even the Lone Ranger had Tonto and Silver the horse, right? Even he had a team. 
Stop trying to do Christianity alone and stop just sitting on the sidelines or worse in the grandstands and just watching church. If that's all you're doing, no wonder your faith isn't growing. No wonder you don't feel spiritually full. No wonder you've developed a critical spirit. No wonder you, 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 you wanna always talk about what's wrong all the time. It's because you're not doing church the way you were created to do church. You're not doing life the way you were created to do life. I made the mistake of posting a picture of, of uh, the Iowa City football stadium, the Hawkeye Stadium, uh, Kinnick on social media and all the Iowa State fans, or not all, a lot of them sent me private messages saying how disappointed they were in me. <laughs> so to not further divide the church on that issue, I went ahead and put Michigan up there. <laughs> it's kind of neutral, right? It's also the biggest college football stadium in America. Hundred and some thousand people in that picture watching a college football game. A hundred and some thousand people, most of whom are in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> watching 22 people who are in desperate need of rest. And that's the problem with the church. There are way too many people watching church and way too few people playing the game, actually living it out. Wouldn't you rather play the game what if you were good at, you said, no, I do not want to go out against 300-pound linemen and play this game. What if you were big enough and good enough and strong enough and fast enough and young enough <laughs> or old enough if you're young? What, what, what if you could? Wouldn't you rather be in the game? I mean, watching the games is really fun. I, I love watching games of teams I care about. I, I, I get it. But far better than being a fan in the stands is being a follower of Jesus Christ, is being somebody who's actually engaged in ministry for the glorification of God, for the edification of his holy church, and for the sake of bringing more people onto that string so heaven can be more crowded. There's so much at stake here. How is it that we just brush that off as, oh, well, that's just my religious life. That's just that individual private thing that I do. That's just that thing between me and God. No, 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 you're called to get into the game and to be on the team and to do it in a coordinated effort. A Bible-based church strategy, what Paul's getting at here in 1 Corinthians 12 is every member is a minister. We're all called to be the church, so activate your part of the body. Find out what it is if you don't know. Discover it. Take the classes we have around here to help you do that. Or you already know deep down, use it for the glorification of God, the edification of his church, and the expansion of God's kingdom. Do ministry rather than just sit around and talk about it. That's when dreams start to get realized. But it isn't just what it does to bless the world around us. It is that. But it's also what it does to bless you. Because you were made for this. I don't care who you are. You were made to be the church. You're not here hearing my voice tell you what Paul's writing in this vision he has for the church by accident. You're here because God wants to remind you, I made you for this. I didn't make you to consume me. I didn't make you to be a, a, a customer of mine who takes in my stuff and then just keeps it to himself or herself. I made you to receive my grace so it could pour out of you, so that it could go out to the world around you, so you could share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ with the world around you. You are full-time ministers, church. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you have a job or not. Whatever your vocation is, that's your disguise. You're, you're, you're a full-time minister. You're an accountant, you're doing ministry. You're a nurse, you're doing ministry. You're a teacher, you're doing ministry. You're, you're a plumber, you're doing ministry. You're hanging out with people. You're connecting with other human beings. 
Are you letting your light shine? Wherever you go, you are in full-time ministry. You're called into the game. But too many of us, we do Christianity almost like we're doing virtual reality. Like we put the goggles on, you know, the helmet, and we see it. And so if we move this way, we see this. And if we move that way, we see it. Have you ever done virtual reality? It's pretty cool. You look up, and there's everything up. And you look down, and there's everything down. And we just leave the goggles on. But there's a problem with virtual reality. It's not real life. For some of you, maybe today's the day on this snowy day where there's lots of room for everybody. This is the day God gets your attention finally and says, you were made for more. Take off the goggles and quit talking about church and quit consuming God. Go out and be the church and serve God as a part of the orchestra, as a part of the team. How much better to be in the midst of the orchestra live How much better to worship with your sister and brothers, sisters and brothers in Christ live and in person? I mean, I get it if you can't get here, if it isn't safe, if you're shut in, if you're having a hard time. But it's why our local sites are so important. Instead of just sitting at home and watching it on a screen, you're worshiping together, you're gathering together and seeing a message, one message for the whole church together on a screen, but you're doing church together as you receive that. Maybe it's time to take the goggles off. Maybe it's time to actually live out being the church. Take a look at this amazing video, which I think sums it up, 1 Corinthians 12, quite well. Take the goggles off, church. So much better in person. (laughs) So much better in person. I don't know how that is not a commentary on what it means to be the church. Amen? Amen? That's what we're about. That's why we're here. I had a mentor once tell me, John... Live in such a way that you have stories to tell. Live in such a way that you have stories to tell. Not reading books about what other people have done and the the, the ways that they've gotten out of their comfort zone and the leaps of faith that they have taken. Not, not, Not telling stories about other people and what they've done, but live your life in such a way as the church in your faith that you have stories to tell. We're starting a, a new team here at Hope Des Moines. It's the parking team. Uh, and uh, maybe not this morning. It was a little bit more of the weather. But on a normal weekend, I know for a lot of you, it's hard to find a parking spot. Praise God for that. That is a great problem to have. We're very thankful for that. And because of that, we want to make sure that the very first experience that people have coming on to our facility on our grounds is somebody welcoming them in a lovely, welcoming, fluorescent yellow vest. And last night, we didn't have a parking team, and so who's out there? My wife, Tiffany, and I were the parking team last night. And you would see the look of, like, shock and horror on people's faces. Like, what, don't you have a job to do? Like, I'm like, I got promoted to the parking team. What are you talking about, right? So here I am, and I will tell you this. That might be the most fun thing I've done all week. And we will tell stories about it. I'll I'll remember that for a long time when my wife and I got to be on the parking team. I want to live my life in such a way that we'll have stories to tell. Remember, hey, remember, honey, that time a couple years ago we were on the parking team on that? It was so much fun, right? Remember that? Maybe for you to remember that time when we got over our fear of being vulnerable and open and we let our guard down and we actually joined a small group. We actually did it. We didn't just come and sit in our rows on Sunday morning and then walk out. Remember that time I said hi to a couple people on the way out of worship? Changed everything. 
I'm a human being. And I, I was created for a relationship. I was not created to sit and listen to a sermon and walk out. You were created to be known. Remember that time? I want to live my life in such a way, and I know that you do too, to have stories to tell. And some of us have been sitting in the bleachers for a little bit too long. Some of us have been on the sidelines for a little bit too long, and you're wondering, where's the joy at? It's joy. It's joy. There's a lot of new people around here recently, and I know one of the biggest hurdles for people to get over is, ah, I'm just checking things out. I'm new. Oh, that's fine. You can check things out, but you are just as much a part of this family as anybody else. You are, just because you want to be anonymous does not mean you are anonymous to the God that created you. And he says, you are a part of my family, and you belong. I, you, I created you to belong and to have a role to play in my body. Remember that time we were on the parking? Remember that time when you joined the parking team? And you can. Just go right to the Welcome Center afterwards. Like today, right? Remember that day in February? Remember when we joined the small Remember when our small group got together and brought a meal to Wiz Kids? And I looked some elementary kids in the eyes, and that might be the best meal that they've gotten the whole week. Remember when I got over myself and served somebody else? That changed everything. I don't know about you. I want to live my life in such a way that has stories to tell. I want to tell my kids what mom and dad did. Well, we just jumped in on the parking team because that's what it means to be the church. Because I don't want anybody driving in either of those entrances to our parking lot and not feeling like we are absolutely thrilled that they are here. And if I have to stand out in the snow to do it, I'll do it. Because that's what it means to be the church, is to serve. Not one of us above anybody else or beyond serving. If I have to scrape gum off the floor, I'll do it. If I have to set up some tables and we have to set up more chairs so that people have room to sit, we'll do it that's what it means to be the church. And that's where the joy is at. And I don't want you to miss the joy. You're a child of God. We don't serve because we're volunteers or because, well, I should do my duty as a church member because I've been around for, I should probably serve. Don't should. Just do it because it's who you are. You are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of God. And it's who we are. It's the church. So we're not just going to talk about it today. I want, I want to encourage you, head out to the Welcome Center, get signed up for the parking team, write it down on your, on your uh, card today. Say, I want to, I want to donate a, a, a meal for WizKids. Today is the day I'm going to sign up to be on the hospitality team. We're, we're going we're to uh, join a small group today. Today is the day. So do that. But we're also going to sing about it because we need to remind ourselves of who we are, even on a snowy day in February. We're children of God. That's who God says we are. So I want to invite you to stand, and the band's going to close us in worship today.